Hello and welcome to another edition of the Africast. My name is Brendan Lotz and today we've got uh, one of our panel podcasts happening uh, and we're taking a look at something that uh, I think is near to everybody's heart here in the Hypertext offices um, and that is video games. Um, we've assembled a crack team of experts uh, to chat a bit about uh, video games in South Africa and uh, let's not waste any time and introduce them. Uh, let's start with you, Jared. Jared, hi and welcome to the Africast. Um, hi, hi. Uh, if you could maybe uh, just tell us who you are and what it is that you do. Sure. Uh, I'm Jared Branches. Um, I'm the subject manager for game design and development at Open Window, tertiary education institute in Centurion. And we teach game design, game development. Um, and on the side, I'm also working in the, in the industry, uh, doing my own game development as well. Um, yeah, that's me. Awesome. And then uh, Raymond Ledwaba. Raymond, welcome. Um, thank you very much, uh, Raymond Ledwaba. I am pretty new in the gaming industry. I'm a chartered accountant by training, uh, and in 2021, I started IT10 Gaming. Um, essentially, we are an institution that is developing uh, skills. Um, so we've got an academy and an incubator. And we are working with people of color in the industry, trying to create diversity uh, and, yeah, I suppose create opportunities for people who have always played video games, but might not have had the opportunities to actually work in the industry or the resources to go to, you know, your, um, your universities to study uh, video game development. So, yeah, in a nutshell, uh, I'm more in the skills development space um, and yeah, focused on opening up the industry to everyone so that no one is left behind. Thanks. Fantastic. And then uh, a name that I think a lot of people are going to recognize, Nick Hall. Welcome, Nick. Uh, hi, thanks. Yeah, so uh, I'm Nick Hall. I wear a couple of hats in the games industry in South Africa. Um, I run the industry body for game development uh, that represents game developers in the country uh, called AISA. Uh, I also am the founder, or rather co-founder, of the continent's largest B2B game development um, event called Africa Games Week. And I also run my own studio. So I work with Renderhead South Africa. Uh, we're a game development company based out of Cape Town. Uh, and I'm kind of championing our internal uh, game development division where we're producing our own IP called Yellow Labs. Okay, fantastic. Right, let's get into it because we have a, a, a great many great minds on the Africast this week. Um, and I think I want to start off with the, the first question that I think many people will be asking. Uh, and that is, how big is the gaming market here in South Africa? I think, Nick, let's start with you uh, on that because, uh, like you say, you wear many different hats and you've been in this industry for a very long time. Um, what is the, the local market for video games like in South Africa? Are people still playing video games? Um, what sort of platforms are they playing them on? Do you, do you have any sort of like outline of what uh, the, the current landscape looks like? Sure. I mean, so, I mean, the, 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 the short answer is yes. I mean, absolutely. Um, the, sorry, bit of a technical fail there. Um, yes, we, we have, we, we have a, a quite a strong, um, game consumer market, uh, and 
we are, depending on which metric you're you're looking at, either the largest or the second largest on the continent, even. Um, as with the rest of Africa, the majority of our consumers are playing in the mobile space. Um, though South Africa does have the largest console and PC market on the continent as well, um, if we exclude kind of North Africa, uh, so Egypt, Morocco, Algeria, that sort of thing. Um, and we've seen steady kind of increases in gains. I'm not I'm not 100% sure on what our monetary value is, but sort of the last time I checked, I believe we were sitting in kind of the regions of about 260 million uh, per annum. I think that number has gone up. Uh, but uh, one of the kind of the, the difficulties that we've always had, and, and this is still true, is um, getting reliable data on African consumers. It's not just South Africa. It's, it's a continental-wide problem has always been kind of difficult. So it's very difficult to give a fixed financial value. Um, but our player base is in the millions, uh, and it's expanding and growing, which is quite exciting. So, Raymond, I want to pass this over to you. Um, have Obviously, you you created uh, IT Think um, with a, a view to kind of having or reaching more uh, local gamers in South Africa. Uh, have you seen a kind of a greater interest in gaming in South Africa over the last two years or so? Yeah, I mean, for sure. So if you're looking at it from a consumer space, I think that talks to what Nick was talking about. So obviously, there's a lot of people that play the games, but we are looking at it from a developer point of view uh, and trying to, you know, uh, ensure that people who might be playing video games and thought they were just video gamers um, can, you know, understand that there's an opportunity for them to make video games. And beyond just making video games, um, there's all these other opportunities around marketing the video games. I mean, I think, you know, Nick is a lawyer, but involved in the space. I'm, a, I'm an accountant involved in the space. So for me, I think um, there's been an interest that I have seen in the work that I do from young, uh, young people who want to play a role in growing the industry from a creator point of view. So yeah, absolutely. And then Jared, I mean, you you said that you you kind of uh, make your own games on the side. Um, are you seeing this as a, a more of a trend amongst your peers, like folks who have been playing games are now trying to make their own games now? Is this something you're seeing? Uh, I think there's a lot of interest in, in making games for sure. Um, following through on that is a different story. As we know, making games is a very difficult thing to do um, <laughs> and publishing and actually getting it finished is even harder. So there's definitely a lot of interest and I think we need to kind of make those those barriers as low as possible and try and just help um, people who are interested see if, if it is for them and help them get there. So what you guys are telling me, or from what I can see, is there's a lot of interest, there's uh, an ever-growing market uh, that is available. Um, but one of the things that I'm kind of always wary of is uh, how do we attract, uh, attract investment into this market? How do we get folks from abroad to pay attention to South African developers? And Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is uh, attention. Raymond, maybe you can speak to this. Do you, have you seen like an interest in international investment uh, for the local games market at all? Hmm. It's a very difficult one to answer uh, because, I mean, particularly for myself in my shoes, you know, 
you'll you'll be told in any sort of like investment pitch that uh, we invest in in the team, right? Yeah. And so if you look at um, the team, a team a startup, you know, people who don't have a track record in developing games, they've not made a, a game. You know, I think um, uh, previous uh, colleague says it's easy to start the process of making a game. It's very difficult thing to finish the game and even more difficult to sell it and make money, right? So we have this big challenge, I think, in the country, potentially even on the continent in terms of raising international funding because of this issue of track record. Show us games that you would have built. How much money have they made? I mean, as a startup, where do you even begin that conversation? You know, so... Um, I think there's been a few companies, obviously, or Kerry First and so forth, that have raised international funding. Um, uh, indie studios, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a big challenge, especially because of this track record issue. So, yeah, let me leave it there and, and maybe hear what our other colleagues have to say about this topic. Nick, uh, maybe your experience with Renderheads uh, can come into play here. Um, how how is the investment sort of space for local video game makers? So I think I think it's uh, I think it's important to kind of look at this in, in two possible angles. Uh, the one is: Are we looking at getting investment on a project basis, which is through publishers? Um, in that case, I would say things have never been better. Um, we've seen a number of investments from internationally held publishers into local game development studios. Um, I mean, Renderheads ourselves, we are going through this process now for our game, Metavoidal, um, and generally the reception seems to be quite good. Um, at Africa Games Week, we always have publishers coming out and kind of looking for projects. So there's definitely an interest on it, and, and people are looking actively because they want new content, they want new games, they want new ideas, new expressions. Um, the other part of it is is that actually direct investment into the company, so through acquisitions or people kind of buying shares into existing companies. And that is something that we've started to see an uptick of, especially in the last two years. Um, I can't talk about this too much, but I know that there are a number of deals in the works, and I'm hoping that they will become public in the next uh, few months. But I can definitely say there are significant international interest in what is happening in South Africa and Africa generally. Okay. Um, but it does speak to, there is a, a broader problem that uh, I want to just picking off of what Raymond has said is, is that one of some of the feedback that we've been getting uh, from international publishers when they come and investors, when they come to Africa games week and just throughout kind of our own experiences is while there is considerable interest, um, there is a slight disconnect between what people are looking for and what is readily available in the market. Uh, and so we do have, especially on the smaller scale, um, sort of sort of our micro enterprises, sort of one, two man startup teams. Um, they're not investable, um, you know. So there's interest there, but there's not actually any companies, or there are very few companies that meet the criteria that investors are looking for. And so that kind of presents the the challenge to us going forward is. How do we do that? How do we scale up those operations? How do we get these small studios to become investable targets for the international investors? Because there is a willingness there, absolutely, and they want to do it. Um, uh, but you know, we need to be able to kind of rise up and meet that uh, meet the demand, and that's the kind of the current challenge. Is there a reason why uh, 
publishers are so hesitant to invest in, like you say, the two-person team? Um, well, look, I mean, so one, it kind of depends on the criteria. I think there's, there's, there's a lot, if we're talking about kind of project funding now, like why are they, you know, is an investor, is a publisher going to go and invest in a small kind of two-man team? Um, they could. Uh, there have been examples of it, but um, as kind of tra as Raymond has pointed out, one of if you're looking at that sort of funding, project funding, your biggest criteria that they're going to look at is well, if we're going to give you a million dollars, are you actually going to be able to deliver on what you've been able to to do? And if you have no track record, you have no history of making games, you have no history of being able to show that you can actually execute, um, it's going to mean that people are hesitant to do it. And then they can look elsewhere in the world. Because remember, that's the other thing is, is that there is, our development studios are competing against the entire world, all right? It's not, you know, you know the, your publishers are going to say, well, can we invest in the South African studio here? Or are we going to invest in the studio in the US or the studio in, in the UK? Um, and often those have larger industries, which means the people that are forming these one to two man teams often have industry experience. I saw Pitch Deck the other day um, for an indie team, small indie team, uh, in inverted commas, and like the the thing, the games that they had worked on included Diablo uh, three. <laughs> you know, just like, well, of course we're not going to be able to compete with that. Yeah. Um, so you know, that's the thing is, is that it, it it's you have to know what the publisher is looking for. There are a lot of smaller publishers who are interested in supporting um, smaller teams. There are some funds and investment opportunities for African-specific, um, you know, they're looking specifically at, at black creators, but also studios based in Africa that people can capitalize on. Um, but yeah, people, I think this is kind of my, my, it's kind of the drum that I'm beating at the moment is, I think we have far too many people who are not interested in setting up game development studios as businesses and are, they're doing it out of kind of artistic pursuit. Yeah. And that means that they're making the wrong games and they're making the, and by that, by when I say the wrong games, I mean, they're not making games that are going to attract publisher interest or publisher investment. Um, they're making the games that they want to make, which is great, but don't realize then that you're going to have to self fund. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's sort of like trying to make a among us type game when the, the current hotness is like a puzzle game, for instance. It's, yeah. it's being a bit more cognizant of what the market is looking for, what performs well uh, in, in terms of sales, and then trying to tell your story through that sort of vehicle, I would assume. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but also, it's just, look, not all games are going to be are investment-worthy or investable even. I mean... One of the big things with like private investors that we're starting to see is, is that it needs to be all, like if you're ma not making a games as a service. So this is games that are, you know, you're going to constant, consistently kind of support. They have a long track record. I mean, basically look at anything that Cly has made is a good example, right? Um, Don't Starve, Oni. You know, those are games that are very much kind of indie games. They've kind of got that indie soul, but they're constantly being worked on. They're constantly being supported. And that's what investors are looking for. They want to be able to know that there's going to be a long-term return on investment in what they're trying to do and what they're trying to get. Um, now, other publishers will, maybe they're, they're okay with having kind of small one-and-done projects. Uh, examples like um, sort of Fellow Traveler, um, Raw Fury to an extent as well. 
you know, they're okay with kind of these smaller experiences, but then you have to be targeting them and speaking to them directly. But then just also realize you are competing with everybody else for their attention and their investment fundings. And so you really have to be the best that you can be because one of the sad truths that I've discovered is nobody cares, right? <laughs> nobody cares that you're from Africa. No one cares that you're some small indie studio trying to re- reform things. What they care about is, are they going to be able to make a return on their investment? Yeah. And you're going to need to prove that. So, uh, Jared, I want to throw this over to you now, and maybe we can chat a bit about uh, the education. Um, what is that space looking like? And I asked this as somebody who grew up uh, in the early 2000s. Um, I was out of high school before video games were even considered something as a... As like an art form um it was mostly just seen as a waste of time a time up until i left high school but uh, what is the education space like nowadays what 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 essentially can i learn um in terms of the video game space like for instance we have as uh, raymond mentioned raymond is a chartered accountant uh, nick is is a lawyer um but w- what sort of uh, career paths are there within the the, the video game market yeah look luckily um there isn't a lot of space for, for graduates, at least, to go out and start working immediately in the entertainment space. Um, what is available to them uh, with the skill set that, um, that they gather or that they gain from studying a game design or development course is anything related to simulation, um, which is a big thing in South Africa uh, with mining simulations and um, other sort of training uh, industries as well, where those skills of making interactive experiences um, can be put to use um, making kind of safe training simulations where you don't have to um, start up, you know, multi hundred thousand rand rigs uh, just to train up someone, but rather put them in a VR headset uh, and get them going in that direction. So the, there's a lot happening um, in the, the simulation um, space, mining specifically. There's uh, a lot also happening in VR and AR with companies trying to, you know, seem pop and new. Um, a lot of uh, gimmicky AR type things um, for competitions or just for uh, sort of ad campaigns. Um, the thing is, like game design or game development, it, it leans on so many different. Um, it draws on all your experience as a human. It's not like you just study one thing and that that's it. You know, if you have an interest in space, you make space games and you go down a rabbit hole of what uh, I don't know, some sort of string theory or. Uh, how does the universe work? And if you're then making a, an underwater game, now you've got to become an expert somewhat on diving, scuba diving or whatever the case may be. So it's it, it's a very interesting um, field. And the, the, the education part of it, um, you know, we can give them three years for a degree and that's not enough time. <laughs> like to, to make anything worthwhile, um, you, you need experience so they're going out mostly doing simulation type stuff like i said um doing game jams helps a lot uh just trying different things gaining that experience that's needed to actually make something worthwhile now jared are students concerned when they start studying something with a view to becoming a game developer and then realize that the local market it may not be as big as they may have thought or, or is that something that students are concerned about uh, yeah, it's definitely a concern, but um, there's also the entire international market. And what the, the best thing about this uh, industry is that we can 
work completely remotely and work effectively remotely as well. So you you know you can be on a team with uh, people from all over the world. Um, you've got to you know develop in Brazil or in Portugal or whatever the case may be, um, and you can effectively still make these products. So the, yeah, it's 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 really open uh, for the students who do want to explore the avenues. Making those connections that's a bit uh, bit difficult, um, but the possibilities are there. So Raymond, uh, let's let's chat to you a little bit about. Um making moves into a, I suppose a a emerging market um are you seeing a lot of interest uh in terms of kids wanting to get into video game development uh not just playing the games but actually making them as well absolutely yeah i mean like um this week at our offices we had a, a young kid i think he matriculated last two years ago went to UCT, did a computer science degree, dropped out because he wanted to go to Open Window and he's currently at Open Window. And um, he came to our offices to say, look, I would like to see what you guys do, uh, start getting some practical hands-on experience. And, and, and I get a lot of that, you know. And, but, but I think for me, the, the, the biggest challenge that is very difficult to solve is you know um I, fa- I found out recently so let me give you the scenario i found out recently that uh tvet students right there's about 50 tvet colleges in south africa tvet students the curriculum the way it's designed you have to be in class for 18 months and then for the other 18 months you need to do work integrated learning and then you graduate right um we all know the perception of tvet colleges in south africa it's considered, you know, um, perhaps slightly inferior to a university qualification, and that's something we need to work on. But um, but uh, the, the, the issue that, for me, I think this is even pro- probably a policy issue, is you're sitting with students that need 18 months of practical hands-on experience in a company, right? Yeah. And for that 18 months... You kind of also need to give them a stipend because then they need to get to work. They need to have lunch, right? Um, one TVET has a backlog of like 6,000 learners that need this practical work, uh, hands-on experience. Where are these guys going to get it from? Multiply that by 50 TVET colleges in the country. You start to realize we are in trouble yeah. because we can't even graduate kids in TVET colleges, let alone deal with the issue of young people that have graduated from university and that need work, right? So for me, when it comes to the gaming industry, uh, I think we're we, we also in a similar situation because the young people that want to be in the industry, that would like to learn how to develop games, um, the ones that are lucky to go to an open window or, 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 or you know, friends of design or uh, vets, uh, Department of Digital Arts and study a degree in video game development are super lucky. Um, but even those, they will struggle to find the opportunity uh, locally. Uh, I think Jared is right that internationally the opportunities are there, right? But we have a huge number of young people 
who are not in education, who are not in training, who are not in employment, how can we create an environment in the gaming space to absorb them? I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big challenge. Uh, so to answer your question, I don't, I don't think the, you know, there's, a, there's a, a shortage of young people who are showing the interest to be in the gaming industry, right? Yeah. There's plenty of them. The issue is, once they show that interest, where do they go? What do they do? Who do they talk to? You know, um, who? In the, yeah, and and that's that's the biggest challenge, I think. So, Raymond, just to uh, pick your brain quickly, um, how do the parents feel about these kids wanting to pursue a career in video games? Is it is it something that uh, parents are seeing is a viable path to study, or do they just think, oh, this kid wants to play video games for the rest of their life? Yeah, I mean, most, most parents, I don't think they understand um, the size of the industry. They understand the economic uh, potential of this industry. I mean, we always talk about the gaming industry is bigger than film and music combined. So there's plenty of opportunity for young people to build, you know, viable careers in this space. Parents don't understand that because perhaps... There's also a messaging issue from the industry itself uh, in educating parents um, about the potential size of the opportunity in the gaming space. There's also the issue of addiction, I think. Um, maybe that might be a blocker for parents because if your child is a, you know, addicted to a game, uh, you're probably frustrated with your child. You want your child to focus on other activities in life, study, have a social life. Um, so the moment they want to tell you they want to work in, in gaming or they want to study a, a qualification in gaming, you switch off, you know. So there's, there's still a, a blocker that kind of needs to be removed. Um, but I think if the industry also performs well and the local industry grows, I mean, it becomes, you know, it's a no-brainer that... Yeah this is visible for, for a lot of people to see, okay, if my child studies at Open Window, they go here and here and they can make a living, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like the uh, social media boom that we saw over a decade ago now, um, where pe folks were getting involved in social media and making a career out of it. Um, and yeah, the, it's now a very lucrative market in terms of social media marketing and Search engine optimization, just marketing in general has moved largely online. And yeah, um, I do want to just pick the panel's brain very quickly as regards uh, Africa and our largely mobile first mentality, um, given the, the amount of smartphones and uh, mobile devices that are on the continent. Uh, do we see a lot of development aimed at reaching that mobile market first, or is a lot of it going towards the console and PC platforms? Nick, maybe you can start us off here. I think that really depends on where the developer is situated. So what we see on the rest of the continent is that they are definitely uh, developing for mobile first, and that is primarily because they're looking to capitalize on the African consumer market itself. If you look in South Africa, especially if you look at sort of the, the, the big, in inverted commas, kind of studios that are actively, you know, kind of running in the space and who are successful, 
none of them are building for mobile. Uh, they're almost all exclusively building for console and PC, and they are targeting the international market. Um, and this has kind of been a, a, at a lot of our events. We kind of have this discussion frequently about you know well, why is the, you know why is this so? I think part of the reason is that um, it is more financially and commercially viable to be making games for the PC and um, console market, um, especially if you are a smaller developer with a limited budget. Um, it just, you know, it, that that's just, it just kind of makes sense. In order to play in the mobile space, you need to have significant backing. Like, you can't do it independently. You, you need some sort, sort of support. Um, and targeting the African market specifically is also very tricky because there's a number of structural issues in place that make monetizing that audience very difficult. So building a sustainable commercial model um, on the African consumer market is tricky. I mean, so much so is that the kind of we've had one major breakout mobile success, which came out of Kenya, and that wasn't successful in Africa. It was successful in the United States. Um, you know, so and I can again kind of speak. So it is possible, um, but he also then the guy who did it had significant backing from Carry First and um, I forget the and Crazy Labs, which is a mobile publisher, and you know they put in millions of dollars in advertising support for him, which was the only reason he was able to be a success in the first place. And he definitely wasn't, wouldn't have been able to be that successful if he was targeting African consumers. So um, that's kind of the position that I think people have taken. And then in terms of the metaverse or Web3 uh, sort of development for games, is there any interest in that locally or did that kind of pass us by? Um, ooh, so, I mean, this is, I have very strong opinions on this, uh, and so I do apologize in advance. Um, look, we saw, if we talk Web3 specifically, especially around blockchain and crypto, yes, there was a bunch of activity. It didn't really, much like with everything else, it kind of fizzled out. Um, the local development community, specifically in South Africa, came out very staunchly against it, though. Um, it was seen as hyper-exploitative, um... Uh, and it just like n no major developers with a track record and experience was prepared to kind of engage in that. Um, the metaverse is a more interesting question. And, and, and so if we talk about um, pervasive online experiences, like do we consider something like, you know, Fortnite a metaverse? It could be. Um, there's been a lot of activity there, and I think there's still some development happening there, and I think that potentially has quite a lot of opportunity for developers, for them to kind of to, to participate in. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah like, but it has slowed down. Like, we've seen uh, a lot of big brands trying to get in on the metaverse, as it were, um, or Web 3.0, um, and, I mean, a lot of them didn't really get too far. Uh, where we have seen really good implementations, though, is implementations into existing games. Um, one that comes to mind is Game and Roblox, where Game created its own little Roblox level. I mean, it was very basic, but it was it was something that was kind of relevant to the time. And, I mean, it, it was free. It was branded with game stuff everywhere. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it was, it was just a simple little integration. Um, that I thought was was rather well done. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I haven't really seen much as regards to the metaverse or Web3 technologies, if I'm honest. 
Um, and honestly, I'm, I'm quite thankful for that, especially given what we saw with the likes of Axie Infinity um, <clears throat> in a, the Asia-Pacific region where folks were earning money off of it only for that, that kind of income to almost disappear, which uh, was very concerning. Yeah, look, I mean, I think that the rise of impact games in the metaverse, so you talk about like games and brands kind of participating, I think there's definitely opportunity there. Um, and I think that is going to increase. And there are certainly one or two studios in South Africa that are almost playing exclusively in that space, which is quite interesting. So it'll be interesting to watch them and see if they're able to capitalize on it. So, Jared, I want to kick this over to you. Um, in terms of education, uh, what are some of the challenges that you, you find in, in when it comes to video games and education in, in this, this area? What, what sort of challenges do you see? Um, I think the biggest challenge is that we don't have a lot of players in the industry that want to grow the industry. Um, we're not seeing opportunities for internships, um, nothing to kind of get new uh, graduates to actually get into the space. Um, that, that's definitely a challenge. I think uh, educating them, that, that's not as big of a challenge. They're interested, they're excited to do it. Um, I mean, we're making games, that's, that's fun, right? <laughs> Where it should be. So I think there's definitely the motivation, they want to do this, but yeah, it's very difficult for them to actually break into the industry when we're not getting a lot of people actively trying to grow the industry. Um, and we're trying to get the students into a space where they feel empowered enough to start up their own studios, since we have to look elsewhere, um, for them to, to get these kind of opportunities. We try to employ them on projects ourselves as well, just to get them more experience. Uh, so that, that's definitely the most challenging part, is just trying to get them into the creative space of creating games for entertainment. Okay, Raymond, uh, have you seen any sort of challenges that have come to the fore? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think yeah, it's 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 the same as uh, what Jared is talking about, like feeder systems. You know, I always talk about feeder systems, and I think uh, any training program, if there isn't thought put into what happens with the output of you know that particular institution or or training program, then you're kind of like. Um, setting up young people to fail, you know. So feeder systems in South Africa, from a gaming gaming development perspective, still in its infancy. Mostly, you know, like the if you chat to Nick as an example, um, the work that Nick does, you would find that if he's looking for talent, because he'll be under pressure to deliver quality, it's it's quite difficult to get interns in uh, because of the supervision that is required. So until we get to a space where, you know, we've got a lot of players uh, in, the, in the market that, uh, I don't know how to put it, but, you know, how do you build an industry? I suppose that's, that's a question we need to maybe explore a bit because then we can train up as many young people as we want. Um, what do we do with them? And I, I suppose for me, that's a that's a key qu a challenge without also having them predominantly work in the service space, um, outsource their time uh, to international studios. I understand from a commercial perspective, it makes sense. 
but are we building our own IP? Are we building our own games that will grow the industry? So do we want to be a product industry or do we want to be a service industry? I think maybe, yeah, I would be curious to hear maybe Nick's thoughts or, or Jared's thoughts on that, if I may, uh, Brandon. Sure, go for it. Nick, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, okay, so I have lots of thoughts on these and I, I have a tendency to ramble, so please do stop me because I, I do feel I've taken up a lot of airtime. So I'm coming, I can come speak to this from two perspectives. Um, the one is as an employer. So, so Renderheads, we're currently sitting at close to 40 engineers and we only hire juniors, so people that are basically straight out of university um, or, or some sort of educational program or seniors looking at people with more than kind of five to uh, six years experience. Um, and we've been doing that very aggressively over the last two years. Um, and so, but we are probably also, there are maybe three studios in the entire country that are job creators. And I think this is, this is exactly what Raymond says. This is kind of fundamentally the biggest problem that we have is, is that there are no jobs and um, there aren't studios being established to create those jobs. And that goes back to that the earlier comment that I said is, is that there are very few people who are interested in starting and building a game studio as a business, as a means of job creation. And that's kind of like one of the biggest issues we have to solve. And there are structural reasons, and this kind of goes back to funding, why that isn't happening. And um, entrepreneurship is kind of the salvation for this, I think, is a very, very risky road to kind of go down uh, because the failure rates there are, and we've seen this in the past, there, there's massive kind of attrition in that space. And expecting a, a student fresh out of university with no kind of experience and no support because there is no support in this country um, to kind of get them to start a business, a successful commercial business in a highly competitive space like game development, it's like, that's not how you're going to grow the industry. Um, what we need is something uh, like we saw in Poland as a good example, um, where they were in many, many ways, very similar to South Africa and then city. I think we lost Nick. I think we did. I think it uh, might be load shedding. Um, that's unfortunate. Uh, Jared, do you maybe want to jump in and uh, give your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, Nick's not right. I'm uh, not wrong there. Um, yeah, expecting students to start up a business. Um, yeah, it's a completely different um, space than, you know, just making a game is running a business, actually managing people as well. And yeah, Sorry. that's obviously not for everyone. Oh, there's Nick. Sorry, I got no chat. <laughs> uh, we, we assumed as much. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we need we need like a major employer. That's how you kind of build a system system. Um, and that large employer leads to other large studios who will then also kind of do stuff. How do you do that is part of the question. Um, and that's probably going to re require kind of external um, external investment. It's going to take somebody like an Ubisoft or um, or an EA or you know something like that to have uh, uh, an interest in what's going on here and see potential on the African market. It's possible to do it organically, which is something that we've been exploring, and we may get there. Um, you know, if we have a studio that has a massive breakout success and then leverages that to kind of create more employment and make more large-scale games, they can do that. 
Um, I just wanted to make one comment, though. Part of the other problem that we're seeing, though, and, and Raymond kind of alluded to this because we've had this conversation, is um, how do we – we do have a graduate problem in that the graduates that are coming out aren't immediately commercially usable in the space. So, like, if we look at render heads, the way that we do things is that we, we have something called our support and maintenance team, which is where all of our new hires go. And they will be in there for six six months to a year, uh, where we have two engineers now, senior engineers, some of our highest, like highest, most expensive resources, whose sole job is to train up these kids and make them usable and billable. Um, and you know, that's a huge expense, and we can only do that because we have a large kind of services base that can um, baseload our entire organization. But I mean, we've seen it to huge success. I mean, and we're, and we're doubling down on the project, and we'd want to expand it. Um, but, you know, not every studio is going to be in a position to do that, and we need more studios who are willing and able to do that. I think that's kind of the key, the key, the key aspect there. So where do we go from here? Do we sit around waiting for the likes of a big publisher to take notice of the African market, um, which to my mind is going to happen far too late? Um, or do we start to kind of stoke bigger companies to invest in, in video game, the video game market and not just on a, hey, we have one esport competition a year um, and we're going to sponsor a big prize pool, which to my mind doesn't help that much. I sure it helps the players kind of uh, improve their skills and, and, and become better gamers. But, I mean, if we're looking at creating real viable uh careers within the video game space uh, to my mind we need to invest in in the developers of these games and have big companies that like you say nick and uh, and raymond and and even yourself jared where we have a a kind of pathway for folks who want to create games where it's okay you go and do your three-year uh, um, sort of qualification and from there you have a way to go and um and and apply the the skills of your trade um how, how do we get that to that point does it require government involvement does it require the private sector to get involved how, how do we get to this point um maybe jared you can start us off with your thinkings maybe sure yeah i think one one issue is just visibility um the types of students that do our courses at least are very introverted don't really reach out to to people so you know the industry doesn't know they exist uh, whether they're good or not. And so we need more opportunities just to kind of bridge um, the industry and potential workers that want to come into the industry. So a low budget cost, a low, low budget um, effective kind of event would just be more game jams, more local game jams um, that can incentivize students to to get involved. We have uh, SA Game Jam once a year um, and the Campus Game Jam um, but th that's about it, you know. We're not not getting local game jams just to get the the local people, the the, the new graduates, to even um, get acquainted with each other. Uh, Raymond. Yeah. So, so Brendan, I think the key. I mean, Nick has spoken about the need for a big studio, and I fully agree. The need for studios that do work, that is revenue generating. Perhaps it is services. And with the revenue from the services, you are able to build your own IP. When you build your own IP, you can absorb young people in as interns and so forth or juniors. Uh, so 
you know, to get a lot of render heads, to get a lot of companies that, you know, um, that are going to be big studios. There is this issue of capital that we need to figure out our way around. And, you know, attracting the foreign capital or the international capital is is one thing, but when your own local government and local partners are not buying into it, I, I think charity begins at home, you know? So for me, I think what, what, what is very key and uh, something that maybe requires a lot of thought, uh, effort, uh, coordination is how do we lobby government to um, understand the potential of the industry? How do we ensure that we can create, you know, when I chat to, 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 to colleagues or friends in Europe, uh, when they want to start a studio, man, like in the UK, you can get a 25,000 pound grant from the government, right? To start a studio. In, in South Africa, what are you gonna get? You know. Um, so for me, I think, yeah, we need to. We need. We, we really need to critically think about how do we get local buy-in, um, and then we can look at international buy-in. Nick, anything to add? Yeah. So I. I mean, this is something that I've thought on a lot, and uh, so look, government support would be nice, um, and it's. To do this at scale, it's going to be a requirement um, because, as, as Raymond said, I mean, you can go to Canada, you can go to Germany, you can go to the United Kingdom, where not only will you get significant tax rebates on your income, but then there's all these other support mechanisms to get started, like in Germany as well. Like if you, if you are making a game that can qualify as German, like culturally, you can get half of your development budget as a grant, you know? <laughs> And so you kind of have this question, well, why are we trying to make video games in South Africa when I can just go to Germany and I can, you know, be paid to do this? Um, and, and that's going to require government support. But having been engaged with government and trying to get them to, to see this is we, we kind of run into the problem is, is that, well, what, you know, what does government want? Um, they want jobs. Like that is their kind of like number one highest priority issue. And so they're not, from my understanding, and maybe things have changed, but the last time I had this conversation was, well, once you can demonstrate that you're creating jobs, then then we'll look at you know supporting you. Um, and so where's that job initial job creation going to come from? I think that's where the private sector uh, steps in. Um, and like we we've got the likes of Naspers and Derivco and Amazon. You've got large corporates here who could potentially be doing it. But this then speaks to the the again that other problem that I said is the at the moment, the reason we don't see more local investment, I think, is is that uh, people aren't building investable business cases yeah. for there to be investment. Um, something that I would love to explore more, and and I, I would love research done in this, and I you know I'd love to kind of get more insights on this is, but we have a really burgeoning tech sector generally, right? Mm-hmm. Why aren't any of those entrepreneurs looking to get into games? What do they see as the barriers and the and the reasons to not do it? Because it's not as though, you know, people starting off doing like a fintech company, for example, they're also not getting any support from government, yeah. yet they're able to kind of leverage it and do a whole bunch of really interesting things. And people are actively going into that space. Um, and, uh, you know, 
I'm I'm too deep in the woods. I, I I'm I'm so ingrained into the games sector that I can't see the view from outside. And so I'd love to get kind of more input there on what external people see as the problems with the games industry. Why aren't established business owners or established entrepreneurs deciding to start a game studio as their next business? Because um, that's where I think we do. Once we've got that, you have your big studio. You can prove you've got job creation. That's how you get government on board. And then you know we're we're away to the races. Fantastic. Uh, Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's a lot of great insights. Sorry, did somebody have something they wanted to add? No. All right. Um, I think that's going to wrap it up, guys. I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, we've been going for close on an hour now already. Um, but thank you so much uh, for, for joining us today. Um, we'll have links to everybody's projects and uh, organizations in this post, as always. Um, but thank you so much for tuning in. Your insight has been invaluable. Um, hopefully we can, uh, in the next year, we can maybe inspire some private companies to uh, develop game studios. Like, multi-choice seems like the perfect place for this, uh, especially with Netflix trying to wrestle into games. If multi-choice and NASPERS kind of work, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm big, big pipe dreaming this at the moment. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully we can do this again, uh, maybe in six months time and uh, see if anything has changed. Sure, thank you. Cool. Awesome, thanks so much. Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.